Welcome in to the Eyes on Texas Multicast, our bi-weekly coverage of the Texas Longhorn football team. And the Longhorns are 7-1. and one. They're number six in the coaches poll. They're number seven in the AP poll. And uh, the month of November is here. Is it going to be a November to remember for the Longhorns? Or will it be a November, November to forget? Longhorns have their destiny in their control. And we're coming to you live from the capital city of the great state of Texas, overlooking downtown Austin and the University of Texas. Welcome to the bi-weekly broadcast that understands the pride and tradition of the Texas football program will never be entrusted to the timid of the week. We are a product of the Republic of Football on Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network and powered by our presenting partners at Grande Equipment and our four other founding partners. We appreciate them so very much. I'm Aaron Hogan, morning show host at The Horn here in Austin, 25 years doing morning sports radio here in the great state and the great the capital city of the great state. He is the senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine, our man, Mike Craven. Craven, Mike, how are you? We're still not in our luxurious studios. We're doing some remodeling, so we're doing the Zoom thing on this Monday. Uh, but we're still talking Texas football, and it should be an exciting run to the finish line. Yeah, doing good. It's crazy that it's week 10 of the college football season, four games left for for most teams in the country. So kind of the uh, the best part of the year, in my opinion. November's the the best sports month of the year. Thanksgiving's coming, so uh, got a little cold. So doing pretty good. You got a little cold. Okay, well, you were at the Rice game last week, so we'll talk about that coming up. That had to be exciting. I'm sure the crowd was a frenzy with what was going on down in Houston in the medical center. Good game, though, Tulane and Rice. But uh, it is Monday when we record our first episode of the week on the Eyes on Texas multicast. The multicast keeps you on top of all things Texas football. We call it a multicast because, of course, it's available to watch bi-weekly. It's also on the Dave Campbell's Texas football YouTube channel, the Horn FM's YouTube channel in Austin or around the world at hornfm.com. It's also available for download through iTunes and Spotify. So multiple ways to listen and watch. Also multiple ways to follow the show on social media. Twitter, it's Eyes on Texas FB. On Instagram, it's Eyes on Texas Pod. And now on Facebook, we are live at Eyes on Texas Podcast. Coming off a 35 to 6, or yeah, 35 to 6 Texas victory. Uh, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll recap it coming up um, because the Longhorns had plenty of good. There's still red zone and goal line and inside the five-yard line issues for this program and this team. Uh, they're still going with their backup quarterback into this week, and they've got a huge contest in the uh, in the Big 12 this week with K-State. Uh, so as you know, if you've been watching and playing along with us here on the Eyes on Texas Multicast, we break it into four quarters. Coming up in our first quarter, we're going to talk about the game itself. Uh, the Longhorns get the victory. Then we'll run through the good, the bad, and the ugly here from Steve Sarkeesian, his thoughts on the game, some highlights from the game here from Malik Murphy, the Longhorn starting quarterback in that game who made his first start of his career. Also in our second quarter, we'll talk about uh, uh, the the current big picture of, of football with the Longhorn sitting at number seven in the country in the AP. Tomorrow, actually, when this thing launches, Mike, on Tuesday, the first college football playoff rankings will be unveiled. So we'll have that to talk about. And then uh, halftime, we've got some great stuff coming. Uh, we're going to hear... One of the Longhorn captains was asked today who the toughest player on the Texas football team is. Mike, I don't know if you saw that or you can guess who that is. Uh, might surprise you. Also, they're going to honor a lifetime Longhorn legend coming up at the game on Saturday. We'll have that coming up in our halftime segment. In addition to our look around the National Football League and the Longhorns that are shining on Sundays and Mondays and Thursdays in the National Football League. And our third quarter, we're going to look at the Big 12 itself. Because as we sit here today, Mike, five teams, five teams are tied for the top spot at four and one. Uh, some huge games coming up on Saturday. So we'll look at the Longhorns in the Big 12 in the future. And then, of course, on our fourth quarter, it'll be 
the final four questions around the Big 12 and around college football that we have not gotten to in the first three quarters. Uh, so we're going to get this thing cranked up. It's going to be fun. But, Mike, uh, before we tell you about our presenting partner, let me th- get your thoughts on the overall game itself. Longhorns win at 35-6. to six. We'll run through it. Talk about how the Longhorns got to that victory with a backup quarterback. But uh, from your vantage point, what were your takeaways from the Longhorn victory over BYU? You know, it's always good when you win by 29 points and feel like you didn't play that good of a game. You know, and I, I think that's where Texas is right now, where you know, probably nobody's really satisfied for that from that win. I think the players think they could have played better. I know the coaches thought they could execute better. I, I know the fans thought that maybe they were a little lackluster at times, but the defense was excellent, didn't give out a t- didn't give up a touchdown. We saw flashes from Malik Murphy and that arm talent and what he's able to do. It was his first start ever. In college, there was going to be some mistakes. There was going to be some poor reads. Uh, but overall, I think you win 35 to 6 at home. You 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 stay in the Big 12 hunt. You, know, you win the turnover battle, play good defense, as I mentioned. I think overall it was a it was a good performance and one that springboards you into what is going to be the real exam for this quarterback and that team. Yeah, K-State this Saturday that's been announced as an 11 a.m. kick. We'll talk about it. We'll start talk about it. because uh, we will recap the BYU game, but uh you know, that game was – BYU was no match for Texas, and I think you said it right on. Uh, to win by 29 points, it's a game that could have been a lot wider had you punched some some balls in from the goal line, uh, which continues to be a struggle for the Longhorns. Longhorns are currently 120th in the country in red zone touchdown def- offense in the country. Uh, they're pretty damn good in every other phase, Mike. Uh, they do a lot really well. Uh, complimentary football, offense, defense, special teams. But, man, uh, can you imagine where this team would be if they – and it's pretty simple for me. If they had been able to work on these red zone issues or known about them or fix them sooner, they might be the number one team in the country because they win the Oklahoma game if they are better in the red zone. Uh, they don't lose that game if they don't go one for four in the red zone and turn the ball over and get stopped at the goal line. They win that football game, and they're sitting here an 8 no undefeated team. But those continue to persist, so we'll talk about it. If you want to tell you before we get launched that our, our presenting partner is at Grande Equipment, my great friend Wes Murray and his team and his – Son Weston and the entire crew at Grande understand that your reputation is all that you have. When it's time for a project, large or small, that's how Grande has operated. That's been their mission statement for 31 years. They are not in the equipment business. They are in the relationship business. Uh, when you get the need, need, you need the right piece of equipment or lots of pieces of equipment and heavy equipment for your project, they get you what you want. They'll get it to you quickly without hassles and uncertainty. It'll be job site ready and ready to go. And they partner with you all the way through the finish line of that project. It's going to be, uh, it's not, their job's not done until your job is done on time and on budget. They got, as an in, independent equipment dealer, they've got manufacturers and can get equipment from all the big, the big names, Caterpillar, John Deere, Komatsu, Volvo, and more. Heavy equipment, sales and rentals at Grande Equipment and GrandeEquipment.com. Also, a great new energy sector supporting solar projects all over the country and now all over the world. Grande is your international independent dealer. Find them at GrandeEquipment.com. That's GrandeEquipment.com, all one word. Remember, Grande doesn't overpromise, they over deliver all right mike craven let's get into this game 35 6 we went a little bit of an overview can we see some of the highlights here nolan hogan our digital producer there with the uh it's cold outside in austin i'm sure it is all over most of our viewing area uh temperatures drop into the 40s it's breezy so the the uh the, the skull cap is going but uh can we play the the xavier worthy punt return this was really a big play in the game uh you know mike when you have a backup quarterback in the game when the game starts you don't know how it's going to go but what you do know is all three phases have to step up and, and rally around a backup quarterback. And uh, to, to see this uh, kickoff, a punt return, 
We've been waiting for Xavier Worthy to break one, see if we can play this, Nolan, the uh, the punt return that put the Longhorns' first seven points on the board. And it came, as you'll see in this highlight, as an untouched situation. Uh, pretty incredible. Here's the, uh, the punt return from ABC TV on Saturday. Game, and this one uh, hung up in the wind a little bit. Here's Worthy, makes the first man miss. Straight ahead past the 40. Kicker to beat. There he goes. Worthy making a house call on a punt return. Xavier Worthy. All right, there it was. Uh, touchdown, Worthy. The only thing that nearly touched him was the cannon when it went off. Scared him, I think, when it, when it blasted as he crossed the goal line. That was impressive, Mike, to see that. And I think it was at that moment that I initially thought that uh, something we talked about last week in both of our episodes, BYU is not very fast. <laughs> They're not a very fast team foot, foot speed wide wise, and it showed up in that one punt return. He didn't get touched on a punt return. The blocking was really good. We'll hear Sark talking about it coming up, but uh, – you know, uh, overall team speed was glaring on that play and really throughout the football game. On the uh, preview episode midweek last week, I asked if we had any evidence that Xavier Worthy was good at returning punts, and he went out <laughs> and returned uh, a punt for a touchdown that that next week. You're right. I mean, anytime that you have a backup quarterback in there, you know, special teams defense needs to step up. And, you know, Xavier's been one of the better players on this team for three years, and he continues to add – you know, new wrinkles and new facets to his football game that's going to make him you know, a first-round draft pick in a very loaded wide receiver group this year. Agreed, agreed. Well, then, of course, uh, the Longhorns added another Jonathan Brooks touchdown. Their defense was throwing a blanket over BYU uh, and, and Keaton Slovis in that offense. And there was a moment uh, you know, where, where Malik Murphy threw that pass. You can't throw it. Threw an interception, really bad throw. And Sark said afterwards that, you know, he kind of panicked a little bit, but there also was a receiver. There's supposed to be an outlet receiver that wasn't there. And I think what I saw on that and then listening to Sark is, you know, they, they did one of those ghost pressures where they brought a lot of guys at the line of scrimmage. And uh, I think a young quarterback, Mike, thought, you know what? They're bringing the blitz. They're bringing the house. I got to get this ball out quick. And when he did that, the, the, the defensive player that dropped back into coverage, I think Malik thought he was coming. He didn't. Threw it right to him. And that's just, that's just a young quarterback that's playing his first, you know, seeing his first live competition since he's in high school. Uh, not wearing a green jersey where you can't hit them. I mean, you're playing football now. And that was just one of those throws that a young quarterback's going to make, and uh, you kind of got to deal with it. Yeah, he kind of struggled a little bit when he faced pressure. On PFF, he had a 90.8 rating. When the pocket was clean, it was 21.7 when he was under pressure. And so, uh, you know, when he had guys in his face, whether he rather real or imagined, you know, things sped up for him. And that's the difference between practice and the football field. It's the difference between the spring game and week nine of a college football season. He's definitely going to see it against Kansas State. Stuff happens fast. You start seeing some ghosts out there, uh, some creeper pressures, as Dave Aranda and Baylor likes to call them. And, you know, when he was able um, to have time and the offensive line protected him, uh, he was really good on the day. And when he got sped up a little bit and was hurried and felt some pressure, you know, he he struggled a little bit. You hope those are just one-week situational uh, cues that he can go and, and fix and practice and watch on tape and, and understand how to how to correct. Agree with that very much. And um, so that was the the first interception. Uh, they got to fourteen to nothing on the Jonathan Brooks touchdown. And then the second interception or the second turnover came uh, on another blitz. Right, Texas got down inside the the red zone where they struggled this year. We know that, and uh, they got under center, uh, which I think if you see Texas get under center, whether it's Quinn Ewers or Malik Murphy. You know, something's up when Texas gets under center is when we've seen them throw the halfback, you know, the, the receiver passes. Um, and, and I think, you know, BYU was keen to that. They realized, wait a second, uh, quarterback rarely under pressure or under center with Texas. He's under center. Let's be alert. 
and they just brought a blitz. I mean, they brought a jailhouse blitz and got to to to. It was going to be that little swing play where Xavier Worthy comes in motion, but then stops right before he gets to the quarterback, goes back the other way, play action pass, and swing it right out to to Xavier Worthy with uh, with a blocker in front. We saw him against Oklahoma State run that play, and instead BYU jailhoused it. It's a turnover. You put the ball on the ground, you turn it over. That's the first of the red zone issues Texas had. Uh, so instead of four, going up 21 nothing, you're still at 14 nothing. And this is what BYU did. I think it's what K-State will do in every team that Texas plays. They're going to try to keep this game you know, within reach by, by playing bend but don't break defense and forcing some turnovers. So at that point, I think in the building, Mike, uh, DKR, there was some, some concern that, okay, well, we got a quarterback that's thrown an interception. He's fumbled the ball. Now what are we going to do? Right before the half, uh, this is when you when you have a young quarterback, you're going to deal with the bad, but also the good. Let's see this, Nolan. This is the highlight of the uh, Donnie Mitch, the uh, the AD Mitchell, Adonai Mitchell touchdown pass. Where this is what you love about him: the ability to be able to flick the ball 40 yards uh, right down the hash mark. He made a great read once he read the safety he was going to take the out cut that Adonai gave him. Uh, he he you know threw the, the ball into the bucket. Here's the highlight from ABC: the uh, touchdown pass that made it 21 to nothing to AD Mitchell. Murphy throws a deep ball into the end zone. He's got Mitchell, and it's caught. Adonai Mitchell with the Texas touchdown. All right, so there it is. Uh, nice pass, Mike. Drop it. I mean, the time you kind of looked like was he going to have enough time, but it, you know the recovery speed of the safety was a problem, and that made it twenty-one to nothing. I think at that point, no matter what was going to happen the rest of the way, you felt pretty good about Texas winning this game to get up three scores in the first half. They go on to win it thirty-five to six. So. The reason we played those for you, the, you know, the good with the special teams and talking about and showing you the the good, bad, and, and what comes with a young quarterback. Yeah, it felt like Texas found the recipe of how they're going to have to succeed moving forward, succeed moving forward. You're, you're going to have to go play action over the top, use Malik Murphy's big arm. You know, he's like Joe Milton and uh, that he has kind of like a Paul Bunyan-esque arm and ability to throw the football in a way that just most people can't. So, you know, you get an Xavier Worthy over the top, an A.D. Mitchell over the top. You would imagine the vertical game is pretty good. You got to rely on Jonathan Brooks in the running game. Jaden Blue had a, a big run. He had over 40 yards, kind of felt like a, a coming out party a little bit for him. J uh, Jonathan Brooks was on the field 32 times. He touched the ball on 20 of those snaps, you know, and he's been 98 yards or more in six straight games. He had, you know, he's, he's, he's three yards away from having six straight 100-yard games. He had 99 uh, against Houston, 98 against BYU. So he's essentially been – you know, at the century marker above, you know, since he's been the starter. And so you're going to run the football, you're going to take deep shots, you're going to win on special teams, and then then you play defense and don't let any touchdowns happen. So it, it felt like it's not going to be pretty. It may not be as enjoyable as it would otherwise, but this is how Texas is going to have to, to you know, get past the Ubers injury and ride this thing out through the, the regular season probably. Yeah, and we'll obviously talk about coming up in our third quarter, more specifically about Kansas State, the job they present. They are 6-2, and two, but – Four and one like Texas in the Big 12. They've been red hot here in the month of October into November. Can we hear Sark? You just heard Mike Craven's recap of the game and how Texas will win. Here is Sark uh, from his Monday news conference as we drop this thing on a Tuesday. His thoughts on the overview, what he liked, and what needs work. And offensively, um, you know, I thought we, we found a way to create some explosive plays. Um, six of 11 on third down was, it was a real positive for us. Um, but we, we can't afford to, two turnovers, you know, every week. And so uh, we've got we've to take care of the ball. Uh, and then two of five in the red zone uh, is, isn't good enough. And so uh, especially when you're 0 for 3 on first and goal scenarios. And so to me, um, that's, that's, that's a byproduct of making sure that we're dialed in on the details of the game plan. 
um, the execution of it all, the physicality that it, that is needed, um, and so we got to get back to it. Um, you know, because we had opportunities in that game for that game to really go a different direction in our favor. Um, we, we didn't capitalize, and so uh, we're going to need to perform better. Uh, in all three phases, most notably in some of those key areas offensively uh, to continue on the mission that we're on. All right, continue on that mission. One other from Sark, and obviously the, you know, in a 29-point victory that you just heard Sark say with some, some lack of turnovers and, and, you know, check the ball a little better and score at the red zone. This could have been a 50-point victory for Texas against a 5-2 and two football team with your backup quarterback. That's the optimistic part. But here's Sark being realistic about where they are, goal line offense, red zone offense. They had two tries within the 10-yard line spot in that second half and didn't score on either of them. Uh, BYU, like Oklahoma did in the Cotton Bowl, got the, the, the stoning of Texas at the goal line. Then Texas came back down and still couldn't score from the two-yard line. Uh, here's Sark on, uh, you know, at this point, you, you got to keep working at it and got to be better inside the five-yard line? Well, I'm, I'm, push, I'm pushing our guys hard. Um, like I said, you know, I think that that's my job as a coach uh, is to push our players to be the best that they can be individually and then to push the units on our team to, to be the best that they can be collectively. And um, I think there's a standard of offense that our guys have established here of the quality of play that, that we play with. There's a level of physicality that we play with. There's a level of speed that we play with. Um, and there's a level of intricacy to, to which we play with, with the shifts and the motions and those things. And so when, when, when we don't meet those expectations and we, when we don't play to that standard, okay, my job is A, to make sure that we're aware of that, and then B, how are we going to fix that? And sometimes you have to get their attention to do that. Um, and so that was this morning, very candidly. We, I think I got their attention. And we need a really good week of practice. We need a hard-nosed week of practice. We need great preparation um, so that we can go out and play really good football against a, against a really good team on Saturday. You know, red right, zone. There, like, go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, red zone offense comes down to a power running game and playmaking in the passing game. And, and right now, Texas's run game is really good. But you watch Jonathan Brooks, and it's not necessarily – you hand him the ball, and then he pounds straight into the offensive line and, and gets those tough yards. He almost is like Le'Veon Bellish in a way where he's pretty patient. He sees a hole. He picks through it. That that kind of running style struggles on the goal line when you're facing eight, nine, ten-man boxes. And, and Texas just haven't hasn't found their Rashawn Johnson or even a Bajon Robinson kind of to be the power running game. And so then it comes down to being really creative and, and being playmakers in the passing game, whether that be your quarterback getting off script and making some plays or your wide receivers – uh, just getting open, the the window is tightened, uh, the the time to get the ball out tightens, the decision making has to be quicker, and we saw that even with Ewers in in the in the game that Texas was struggling with a backup quarterback, it, it serves to reason that it's going to struggle even more. And I, I think the the biggest point of that is, is you saw the play calling Sark was getting into to try to create points, like he knows it. They weren't just lining up and trying to go score, and you know, they were they were getting very uh, innovative. And some of those those goal line goals, because he's trying to scheme his way. He's trying to chalk his way into touchdowns because he doesn't feel like the power running game. And then the playmaking and the passing game is up to par. He's trying to, to compensate for that uh, with the scheme. Yeah, uh, the first trip inside the 10, that was the fumble right in the first half. That was the jailhouse blitz for BYU. They were trying to get it to X-Man on a play action and long developing play as far as that goes. And BYU kind of bum rushed it 
force the turnover. Then in the second half, the two, uh, if you go back and document the plays, Mike, and it's interesting the Mike that uh, you just said what you said on the heels of Sark, because Sark does sound like he's challenging the players. Like the plays are there, guys. We've got to execute them better. He's not taking it on him. And I know we get a lot of texts on our show in the mornings, and I'm sure you hear about it, that it's, it's predictable play calling. I would disagree with those people because what I saw yeah. was uh, he was trying to get X-Man and fly motion on the first one. It turned into a fumble. Then they went to Red Cat. If you remember the first time they got denied by K- by BYU, they went to the Savion Red package on a third and one from outside of the 10-yard line and got a first down. Then they went to it again. Then they went to it again. They just kept running it. And then, you know, the, the third time they did it, it got it lost two yards. So Sark kind of, okay, reverse course. Uh, I do think that Red Cat, the Savion Red Wildcat package can work, but at some point you have to hand that ball off. He's going to have to do something different than just trying to find a gap and find a hole. It's getting predictable. I would agree with that. Uh, so maybe that's something they're working on. But then on the third down play, they threw a pass to Adani, uh, Adonai Mitchell. Uh, it was supposed to be the pylon. I thought it was a late throw. It was an out route for the receiver who's a great route runner in A.D. Mitchell. Uh, it was a little bit late and ended up getting knocked down. Then the fourth down play, I love the play. Um, you know, here on the Eyes on Texas Multi, I love the play. It was a play action with a with a motion. And then it was a throw out to JT Sanders in the flat by himself out there. And all he needs is a block from Jordan Whittington. And it's going to be a walk-in touchdown. But one of the very few times you'll see it, Jordan Whittington got beat by the DB, didn't get the block. And the DB not only beat Jordan Whittington, he then tackled JT Sanders short of the goal line. That's just a good defensive play. Uh, so there's there's kind of a mixed bag, Mike, that there's there's – execution, which I'm sure is what Sark's talking about. There's some play calling stuff that maybe gets predictable. And there's also good defensive plays when the defense doesn't have to worry about the deep ball and can just pin their ears back. Uh, especially when you put Byron Murphy in there and go to those tight packages, the defense where they're just going to go wherever Byron Murphy is, that's going to be the hole. And they, you know, he can only block one guy. Everybody else kind of comes off his hip pad and rolls into the, into the hole. So it, it's a mixed bag. But in the end of the day, if you're 120th in red, red zone, you know, high red zone scoring touchdowns, at some, at some point, Mike, you just got to kick field goals, right? You just got to take your three points. And you get to these games here, whether it's on the road the next two weeks or this game with K-State, uh, I'm fine with some field goals, the way your defense is playing. Yeah, with your defense playing as well as it is, that, that's, a, that's a point taken. Uh, but I think all of this comes down to Texas not trusting their ability to just go get three yards in the run game. Yeah. Uh, you know, they have to get creative. They have to go save you on red. They have to go fly motion. They have to to get JT Sanders in the flat off, off of different looks. Uh, because they can't just line up and have their guard center guard just go mash people. And so uh, Jake Majors isn't the biggest guy in the world. He's played really well. He's been an excellent center for Texas. Uh, He's overachieved his recruiting profile and has been a really good player for the Longhorns. But I think one of the times that you kind of, you know, miss a bigger, stronger center is third and goal on the two yard line where you're not able to just go move a defensive tackle or a nose tackle out of there. Texas can't tush push. You know, for example, they're not going to organize their mass in a way where they're going to be able to to overpower uh, the team in front of them. And that makes Sark have to go into his bag a little bit more and maybe call some stuff that when it doesn't work, it looks really dumb because you when it doesn't work, you're just like, why didn't you just hand the ball off and go score a touchdown? I don't think he thinks they can. And so far this season, they've proven that they can't. To me, that's been one of the bigger surprises of this year is that this offensive line hasn't been more dominant than it has been in those short yardage goal-to-go situations. Mike, as we wrap up our first quarter, Longhorns win at 35-6. to six. They're number six in the country in the coaches' poll, number seven in the AP. They're, they're right where they want to be with four to play. Um, you know, is it, is it one of those things where it is what it is and you, you start kicking some field goals? or you Because know, if they fix that, 
you know, I, everything, every other metric, I know there's still the secondary issues um, as far as that goes, but uh, that certainly was better on Saturday against Keaton Slovis. Uh, you know, what's your, are you of the belief that it, it is what it is at this point? Just, just know what you, your DNA is and kick, take your points when you get a chance, quit trying to be stubborn, or do you think this is fixable? I think it's fixable. And I think if you're Sark and you put together this football team and you have the goals that you have, you just, you just go with your dudes, right? I mean, if you can't, if you can't score uh, on goal to goal situations with JT Sanders, Gunnar Helm, Jonathan Brooks, AD Mitchell, Xavier, you know, DJ Campbell, all, all those guys, right? That's why you get this team. Like you, you're not doing this to kick field goals. You're trying to go score touchdowns and put your foot on some p- people's throats. And I think if you're Sark, you just hope that, once that once that breaks, like once they have two or three drives in a row, maybe in the red zone where they score, uh, all of a sudden that becomes contagious. Uh, but I I am of the opinion that you go down swinging. I can understand if he starts kicking some field goals in situations he normally wouldn't, especially with the way your defense is playing. To your point, yeah, uh, and, and you know it's funny uh, we have the cut. I don't know if you can find it in time, Nolan, but we'll uh, maybe we'll insert it uh, here, but uh, in our in our post edit. But the, you know, Sark was asked today, do you use the book? Remember, remember uh, Tom Herman was famous for the binder, right? We go to the binder, we look at the book or whatever it says. And Sark, Sark kind of snickered at that today and said, yeah, I know about the book. But the last time I checked, Jay Hartzell and Chris Del Conte didn't hire the book. They hired Steve Sarkeesian <laughs> to be their head coach. So there's still a lot of gut feel things that go on for him. I know Longhorn fans are getting frustrated with his gut at this point. He's getting frustrated with his team uh, because they're really good. They're too talented. they got too many weapons to be this inefficient inside the five yard line. Uh, so I think they're all kind of looking at each other going, guys, what are we doing here? We got to be better if they can. Uh, goals are still out there, but I will say this, and we'll talk about it more in our third quarter. We're talking K-State. If they don't beat K-State, I can sit here right now on this Monday record and, and comes out on Tuesday and say, I would imagine the reason they lose it is that they didn't execute well in the red zone uh, and, and either were stopped and had to kick field goals and that, um, the other big issue I see with Texas right now is their two-minute defense. If you look at their two-minute defense at the end of the Oklahoma game, uh, end of the Alabama game, even end of the first half against Alabama, uh, even against Houston last week, their red zone or their two-minute defense isn't very good. These are things they have to rectify. I think they're really good in most other phases of the of the game, complementary football, and we'll talk about that coming up, how good Texas is. But right now, those are the biggest issues, and if they can uh, even be a little bit better in those phases – I think they're going to be hard to beat here the rest of the way. Favored by five over Kansas State. Uh, all right, our first quarter is in the books. It's brought to you by our friend Dr. Greg Eckert and his irrefutable research-based brain vault technology. It's more than a mouthpiece. It's an orthotic. It's a mouth guard that is a proven way, proven, for young athletes to play hard but play safe by minimizing the risk of concussions. Uh, it's uh, it's absolutely there. It's at brainvault.com. You can go in and get yourself fitted for the brain vault technology. Uh, it is Dr. Greg Eckert, who is my dentist, and you can see my pretty smile. He's restored my teeth here after 50 years, and I have a brand-new smile through him, and he can do yours, do that for you as well and be your dentist here in Austin, Texas. But also, he's partnered for the last 10 years with Drew Pittman, who is an NFL agent, and for the last eight years, over 100 of his clients, Drew's clients, have been wearing the Brain Vault technology with no concussions reported for eight years. Uh, it's a shock absorber, essentially, for your mouth. It aligns your jaw position, strengthens your neck muscles. It's a uh, it's an orthotic or a mouth guard. It's designed just for your and fitted for your mouth and your jawline. Uh, and it has absolutely proven to work. And now teams and young athletes all over Texas, parents all over Texas, are getting their kids fitted for the Brain Vault because it allows you to play, play hard but play safe with the Brain Vault technology. All you have to do is go to BrainVault.com, and you can read about the research-based uh, 
uh, information there, how it's been, been found to work and shown proven to work uh, by the research. But in the end of the day, it's about the results that matter to you. If you have a youngster playing lacrosse or rugby or football, obviously, or, or cheerleading, uh, any collision sports, soccer, for crying out loud, get to BrainVault.com. They're a great partner of ours, brought to you the first quarter. And we appreciate Dr. Greg Eckert. Second quarter time, delivered by the Good Times and Incredible Scratch Food and, and Comfort Food at Hayes City Store and Ice House. Absolute desti destination location in Driftwood, Texas. All right, Mike, let's shift gears. And we, we move on from the BYU victory and look at the big picture. Longhorns are six in the latest coaches poll, seven in the latest AP poll. Uh, they are going to be looking like everybody will at the college football playoff rankings. will come out for the first time tonight you know if you're watching this on a tuesday it comes it's gonna be out um we record on a monday but it's gonna be out and um you know longhorns in a pretty good spot right now they're not they're no longer mike the number one or highest ranked one loss team oregon has now jumped them in the ap poll it'll be interesting to see how that plays out you know coming up with the, the college football playoff committee but they're still in a good spot with one loss with a month to play yeah, I mean, they're in a great spot. You know, they wanted to play for a championship. That was the goal going into the year. They can win out and play for a Big 12 championship. If you win the Big 12, avenge your loss against Oklahoma, you'd have a loss against or have a win against a really good Kansas State team, a really good uh, win against a good Oklahoma team, and then a win on the road against an Alabama team that may or may not win the SEC. And so I think if you do that, uh, one of those teams is going to lose in front of you, right? Like, you know, one of Ohio State and Michigan has to lose – and then I just think one of the Pac-12 teams or Florida State, one of those teams is going to lose. I think if you're Texas, you have to essentially believe that you're in control of your destiny. If you went out and you're 12-1 and one and you have that kind of logo on your helmet, uh, Texas most likely is not getting left out of a, a college football playoff scenario unless there's four undefeated conference champions out there. Yeah, and that would become the big debate. I think I agree with you, Mike. Let's hear Sark on this today. He was asked about his first time, obviously, with them coming out this week. Somebody asked him. Uh, on Monday about the rankings and you'll hear him here say you know, a little early, but then he expands on it and thinks they have a pretty good resume and a pretty good football team. Here's Sark on the big picture for the Longhorns uh, with the month of November to go. So I think we got a pretty good football team. Um, and uh, I think that we're a very versatile team. Uh, and I think the fact that, you know, we, we started our backup quarterback against a five and two team and won 35 to six. And so we get another opportunity this weekend to, to play with our backup quarterback. And so, you know, not every team out there has had to endure some of the things that we've had to. Um, and if they had to play with their backup, how would they play? But I think it, it speaks to the type of team that we have. I'd argue we have the best win in the country right now. Um, the fact that we go into Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and beat a team that was 52 and one uh, in the previous 53 games of us going in there, um, and I hear so much about how how tough the SEC is, but I haven't seen any of those teams go into Alabama and win either. So I feel pretty good about our team, um, and I think over time this whole thing will play itself out. So we got to focus on what we need to do Saturday and, and play our best football. All right, Mike, interesting comment there. Uh, would you agree with Sark that they have the best win in the country, the win at Alabama? That's better than any team has as far as a road win and a quality win in 2023? I think it's up there. I mean, Washington's against Oregon could be uh, put in that that style as well. I, I don't know if the Alabama team that Texas beat is the Alabama team that's playing right now. The Longhorns got them at the right time of the year, it looks like. I mean, we were all re ready to write the Crimson Tide off, right? Like Nick Saban losing his fastball, all that kind of stuff. And now they're, they're maybe a Georgia win in the SEC championship away from maybe getting a rematch against Texas if both teams went out. And so uh, I think for Texas, Sarks is exactly right at the end there. 
Um, they have a, an argument against anybody in the, in the country if it's a one-loss situation where there's not four undefeated conference championships or champions. So if you're Texas, you go make a statement on Saturday, you beat Kansas State, you control what you can tr- control and win out. I think the chips fall where you want them to fall if you're a Texas fan. I agree. Now, there is, and again, the puzzle begins tomorrow, right? Usually when it comes out for the first time or tonight, if you're watching this on a Tuesday, uh, it's, it's, it's the borders. It's really just the initial thought of what's happened. And I do think the committee, whether we can agree or disagree with the final decisions all every year, does a pretty good job of letting it play out and rewarding it. We, like what comes out this week is the level of accomplishment to this point, right? It it's, doesn't mean it can't flip around. It's what you've done to now. And that's going to change between now and the end of November. We know that. Uh, so, you know, I expect to see, you know, Georgia number one based on number one in the AP poll for like 30 straight weeks now. Uh, and their impressive win over Florida. I expect to see Michigan too. They've got a scandal they're dealing with right now coming off their bye week. I expect to see Ohio State and Florida State probably three, four. This is my guess. I would be so point. disappointed. I would be it's so what? disappointed. If, if Georgia is one, I'm going to throw a fit. And who should it be in your mind? Uh, I think it should be Washington. Uh, okay. I think it should be Ohio State. You know, like they have wins against ca- real caliber opponent. Ge- Georgia's best win is Kentucky. Uh, yeah, and right I, I know it's I know it's impossible to wipe. You know, I, I know that like the men in black kind of you put the buzzer in front of somebody's face. And, like it's impossible to wipe away what Georgia's done. But if Georgia goes undefeated and wins the SEC, they're going to end up in the top four. I would have Georgia at five. I'd have it Ohio State, Washington, uh, Florida State. Um, I'm forgetting Michigan and then Georgia, probably. I think it's just one of those, like, is it the most deserving or the most dominant? Uh, Michigan's probably been the most dominant. Georgia's obviously been the most dominant for the last three years. I'd rather go with the most deserving, uh, but I, I always get in the argument with the AP poll voters. Well, that's I mean, I wouldn't disagree with you at all to what you just said. I think that I'm going with what I think it's going to be, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, they very well yeah. could go on level of accomplishment to this point. That's what I just said. And I, and I refuted myself with my, my belief but you're right. I mean, if you're going level of level of performance to now, it probably is Ohio State. They've beaten Notre Dame. They've beaten Wisconsin on the road. They've beaten Penn State, uh, who was a top 10 team. They've got three really quality victories. Um, you know, Washington undefeated. They've looked a little skittish the last couple of weeks, but they did beat Oregon. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned Florida State. Florida State, um, they're the team in the ACC. And that's the scenario, big picture for Texas, where, you know, I don't know that they control their own destiny. If Florida State wins out, if Georgia wins out, and whoever wins Ohio State, Michigan, now you're looking at the four spot. Who's that going to be? You know, who gets it over one loss? And that's where that Texas win over Alabama. And I agree with you that this isn't the Alabama that Texas played, but I don't think that matters in no. the perception of the country. That's yeah. still Alabama. No one else has beaten them. And the Longhorns beat them by 10 in their place. I think Sark's pretty right on that. Uh, I don't know that they'll, they'll nuance it as much as that big, you know, when it gets to the point. And so, yeah, the Washington win was at home against Oregon, and then they've kind of scuffled. That's the good part of this debate, but you're right. All you can do if you're Sark is keep winning and winning your games, and this week becomes very, very difficult. Let's hear Sark in our second quarter, brought to you by Hayes City Store and Ice House, talking about uh, you know the one thing he said today that was pretty clear. And I will say this, having um, you know, covered the Sark News Conference today, Mike, he was uh, he was intense today. Uh, you know, sometimes Sark's in a joke, you know, chippy mood, fun mood. He'll take some shots. I just felt like he was really you know, focused and intense today. Like he, he, we're here to November. He's still pissed off about the, uh, the red zone. Uh, he likes where his team is. He knows he's dealing with a backup quarterback, uh, but he think he likes where they are and he just needs them to take that. Can they take that next leap? Here's Sark with the question about room to grow, room to grow. Because the one thing he said today is what he's excited about is they're seven and one. 
They're, you know, right where they want to be with four to play, uh, tied for with four other teams in the Big 12. And they still haven't played their best football, in his opinion. You still think there's a ceiling that they have not reached here, Sark, on still getting better into the month of November. Defensively, um, I think we're third in the country on third down right now. Um, I think we're top 10, if not top five, in red zone defense. Um, and so, all right, where, where can we improve? How do we eliminate some of the explosive pass plays that we've been giving up down the field? I think offensively, um, you know, we've, we've kind of rectified where we were at early in the year where we weren't great on third down. I think we've improved there. Um, I think we are playing efficient offensive football between the 20s. Um, but we got to finish these drives, you know. And um, I, I said to you guys Saturday, I, I would be lying if I didn't say I wasn't frustrated because that changes the whole complexion of a game. When the score starts to go a certain way, now you're starting to make a team one-dimensional. Now you can rush the passer different defensively. So when I've referenced complementary football, it's all those phases adding up together. How can the offense help the defense play their style in which they want to do? How can the defense help the offense, creating turnovers, giving them a short field? How can the offense then in turn help the defense again, turn those turnovers into points uh, and not turning the ball over and giving them a short field? So it all ties together. Um, but again, you know, as, as coaches, you know, I, I don't want to say you're, you're never satisfied, but man, you know, we, we try to chase perfection every day. And, and when it's not perfect, my job as a coach is to try to help them, you know, show them a path and an avenue of where and how close they are to perfection and how we're going to try to get there. All right, still room to grow, Mike, and in a good spot. And that's, I, I think, I thought what I was encouraged by Sark today, I think he's kind of pushing the gas here with his team. He's really challenging them. You heard him say earlier, I push these guys every day, these coaches every day. Uh, we're close. We're close. We just got to kick that door in, as old Bum Phillips would say, and start finishing these drives and, and you know, not be our own worst enemy in some of these games and let some teams hang around. And he knows this week is the test. Like He knows right. he needs the best from this team, that if they turn the ball over, if they don't convert in the red zone, that Kansas State is the team left that can really punish them. They can play their B game and beat TCU. They can play their B game and play Texas Tech. They cannot play their B game and beat Kansas State. Like They're going to have to play uh, Alabama, Oklahoma style uh, of football against this Wildcat team. He knows it. He's pushing those right buttons. I think Sark is the most enjoyable coach to, to listen to at Texas in a long time. The way he talks about football his demeanor about it, his straightforwardness about it. I enjoy his press conferences on a weekly basis and kind of what he talks about and the introspection and the honesty he provides on a Monday or Tuesday. I don't disagree. Don't disagree. And I think he, you said it right. That's a uh, great analysis right there. He understands how important this game is, how close they are, but this could derail the whole thing. Uh, because once you lost Oklahoma, um, you know, you, you can't afford another toe stub, obviously especially at home. In the Oklahoma game, you lost the game because of turnovers. You lost the game because of red zone, uh, lack of red zone production, period. Uh, and your two-minute defense wasn't good, but it wouldn't have been there if you had executed in the red zone uh, better. And I think he understands that. And there, it, he's just so frustrated that it's still not rectified and it's still not fixed. And BYU was able to stone them a couple of times. All right, that's our second quarter delivered by the incredible Scratch Food and Amazing Times at Hayes City Store and Ice House. Uh, great place, even as it cools off. They've got the Ice House outside and inside where you can get away from the cold temperatures if they're there. And the Ice House, they drop down the uh, the partitions and it's very nice out there, heaters and whatnot. Uh, great food. It's really about uh, the experience every time, watching sports, big parties. We were out there a couple weeks ago and there were 
six picnic tables of people celebrating something. I'm not even sure a graduation or an anniversary or something, birthday. That's what Hay City Store is all about. They're right there in Driftwood, Texas, uh, between Wimberley and Kyle, uh, just out, outside of Driftwood and Dripping Springs. Great people, ready to serve you. Travis and Tamara Tyndall, they uh, have, when the night music, when the weather's great, like it's going to be this weekend, getting out watching Texas, live music on their stage, six nights a week on the picnic tables under the canopy of oak trees. It's uh, it's a little bit of everything. That Hayes City Store and Ice House, famous for their scratch of Texas comfort food, wood-fired pizzas, house-ground burgers, chicken fried steak to die for, truck stop enchiladas, full bar, great margaritas, 53 beers on tap. It's everything at Hayes City Store and Ice House, a destination of location if there ever was one. Uh, make it your destination soon. If you do, you'll be back again and again to Hayes City Store and Ice House. All right, time for halftime. We'll get to that third quarter. And as Mike just alluded to, it's going to be a drill down on K-State. This team, the Big 12, where it stands, it's good stuff right now in the month of November. But halftime uh, brought to you by our buddy Richard Strever and his team at One Source Gas, One Source Gas of Central Texas. Uh, we'll tell you about them coming up. But a little bit different halftime. Uh, first, Nolan Hogan, our digital producer. Do we have some – I know B. John Robinson – Scored his first rushing touchdown of his career in an Atlanta loss to Tennessee on uh, on Sunday. But uh, give us the rundown of Longhorn players shining in the National Football League. This happens every Sunday. Uh, this week, the list is a little bit longer than usual. We got Brennan Schooler with his usual two solo tackles. Uh, nice. Andrew, Beck, Andrew Beck had himself a rushing touchdown this week as well to join Bijan with their first rushing touchdowns of the season. Remember Andrew had the uh, Nolan Andrew had the kick return for touchdown too, so he's got two this year, which is incredible. And yeah, that hurt my fantasy team. I have Damian Pierce, and they handed it to the up back, the fullback uh, up the middle, and didn't give it to my back. But either way, happy for Andrew Beck to get the touchdown for the Texans against Carolina. Uh, for Miami, Deshaun Elliott versus New England this week: six tackles, four solo, and a pass breakup. Uh, we mentioned Bijan Robinson versus Tennessee this week: eleven carries, sixty-two yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Jordan Hicks continues his solid season, eight tackles, four solo versus Green Bay, playing for Minnesota. Uh, Quandre Diggs had nine tackles, and five of them were solo versus the Cleveland Browns in their win. Uh, Justin Tucker versus Arizona was one for two on field goals with a long of a 48, so I'm assuming the one he missed was a little bit longer. Uh, the And he was four for four on extra points. Keontae Ingram got some action against the Baltimore Ravens, two carries, nine yards, and a reception for seven. Uh, Charles Amenahu had a, a solid, another solid game versus Denver. Five tackles, three solo, half a sack, and a quarterback hit. Uh, P.J. Locke for Denver in that game against Kansas City had three solo tackles. Uh, the Chicago Bears, uh, Texas backfield with Deontay Foreman and Roshan Johnson. Uh, nine carries for Deontay, uh, 34 yards. Roshan had himself six carries for 21. And Cameron Dicker capped off the evening with a three-for-three field goal night and a three-for-three extra point night against the Bears. Yeah, Vince, the Bears on Sunday Night Football. Very nice and all good stuff right there. How about this, Mike? Arthur Smith is the coach of the – I know you don't cover the NFL that much, but the Titans wore the Houston Oilers uniforms, which disgusted me to my core as an Oilers fan. I can't handle it. That's Derrick Henry with his Derrick. They even had it on the field, like on the field, the big oral Derrick in Tennessee. Sacrilegious. Oh, oh Terrible. But so – but in that game, the Falcons are playing in Tennessee against the Titans, not the Oilers. And in a, in, a, in a crucial situation late, Arthur Smith in the red zone, speaking of red zone issues, has Bijan Robinson off the field. And he's got Jonu Smith as a tight end in the backfield, and he ends up throwing a pass. And he like, has not only Jonu Smith throwing the ball, he has Kyle Pitts blocking for him. Oh, man. Like, why is Bijan Robinson off the field in a critical moment? He's, you took him seventh overall to, to watch 
a critical moment on the road in the red zone. I don't get it. Sometimes you talk with this, Mike, all the time. Coaches overthink a simple game all too often. That is absolutely true. I did see a tweet where, uh, you know, the Falcons had three tight ends on the field and the one they drafted in the top 10 is blocking uh, while their top 10 draft pick on the uh, running back is, is on the sideline. So I, I'm fat every, every week in the NFL, there's some decisions where you're like, how did you become at the top of your profession? Um, and how, like, how do you have all the details and know all of this stuff and then make that decision? Like, it's just incredible to me. Uh, but I've never been, you know, on the sideline. I don't know how fast it happens, but that's a fireable, fireable offense, I'd imagine. <laughs> and you lost the game by inside a touchdown. I don't know, man. And remember, Arthur, Arthur, Arthur Smith used to be the offensive coordinator in Tennessee. That's before he got the job when he was the one that kind of resurrected Ryan Tannehill's career and Derrick Henry had his best years and he got the Atlanta job. But uh, that was kind of a boneheaded thing. Uh, all right, real quick, in, in our halftime, brought to you by One Source Gas, wanted to play this for you. Any guess on who Longhorn right tackle Christian Jones believes is the toughest player on the Texas team? You know, this goes when you get the players availability, Mike, and everybody's looking for a question for their media package, their news package on the news. Somebody asked Christian Jones, who's the toughest player on the team? Do you uh, have a guess or two, or do you already know the answer? I don't know the answer. The guy I would want to not fight the most would be Byron Murphy or DJ Campbell. <laughs> I agree with that. DJ Campbell or Byron Murphy. Uh, Nolan Hogan, do you have a guess? You already know it because I sent you the audio, but uh, uh, who's the guy you would least like to fight? I could throw Anthony Hill in there, I think, having seen him. Uh, gosh, who's the guy, the big kid out of New Jersey, Bergen Catholic, the, the big monster, uh, some big boys, but uh, do you have a guess? No. Um, I, I, I would not want to fight Jalen Ford. That would not be a fun one. <laughs> That's a good one too. Okay. Well, pretty much any of these guys, but let's hear this. This is Christian Jones. Who's the right tackle for Texas. He's playing at a really high level, by the way. Uh, yes, back yes. for a sixth year. He's playing great. Uh, this is a very thoughtful answer that I think is going to surprise a lot of our Eyes on Texas multicast viewers of who he thinks is the toughest player in the Texas locker room. Uh, Charles Wright, number one. Um, man, he, he works. He's a grinder. Every single day he's, he's, he's in there. And um, it's... It's easy to like work hard when you're like when you're the star guy, when you're like the number one guy, you know, and everyone's like pan you on your back and like you're getting the positive and negative like uh, reinforcements, you know. But um, you really see what someone's made of when they come to work every single day and they do it for the love and the passion of it, and they know their role and they do their job to their best extent. So whatever that is, Charles is always up there running, man. I mean, giving it was giving a look on scout team, being a linebacker, like. Uh, single in the play sometimes, like getting a couple reps in, staying extra, man. I mean, like it's 45, 50 minutes after practice, and he's walking in with his shoulder pads, sweat dripping. So, like, I mean, that's a that's like a testament to him. And if we had a whole team of of hymns, we'd be undefeated. And uh, yeah, that is that's definitely one. That's incredible. That's an incredible answer. Isn't it great? Yeah. Yeah. Charles Wright, uh, he is the probably the biggest Longhorn on the Longhorn football team. Like just grew up loving Texas, was an Iowa State commit, flipped. I think he got his offer because Quinn Ewers decommitted and went to Ohio State. That's true. Uh, That's correct. And, and so uh, you know, committed really late in that cycle, stuck with it through a coaching change and a guy who didn't even offer him, knows he's not gonna get on the field, has five stars all around him, doesn't transfer, doesn't complain, apparently works. Uh, his tail off just like he did at Austin High. A uh, really cool kid, good kid, and uh, apparently turned into a, an awesome young man. 
Well, and that's one of those ones I love the, that he said that. But what a what a thoughtful teammate too. Yeah, uh, that, that'll 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 resonate at the combine when Christian Jones gets to the combine. That's just a it's a it's a, it's a likable kid who's playing really well. And you know, speaking of a, of a fourth string quarterback and noticing what a fourth string quarterback is doing, uh, that's that's good awareness right there. I like me I like me some Christian Jones, and certainly props to Austin's own and uh, loyal forever, uh, the Austin High Maroon, our man. Charles Wright getting a shout out on the eyes on Texas multicast. Good job. A baller, right by the way, at his high school. He was, oh, oh, man, he he was absolutely right awesome as a Maroon. Awesome. Uh, and that's, you know, that Sark did talk about that. I will say this. We didn't have time. We didn't play it, but, but uh, Sark went on for a while about Malik Murphy, my, uh, Mike, in the same way, just that he could have transferred when Quinn Ewers transferred in. He could have transferred when Arch transferred in or, or committed. Uh, here he is, but he, he and he, you know, Sark made it very clear. He said it wasn't about NIL. I know, you know, whatever he ended up getting, he said, I sat in the exit meeting with Malik Murphy and he wanted to be here. He just wanted a chance to compete and know we'd get an opportunity. And he loves being a part of this team, a part of Texas. We talked about that with Jonathan Brooks. Um, Charles Wright, as you said, was an Iowa State commitment. He could be starting at Iowa State with all the issues they're having. Who knows? Yet he's here busting his butt for the Longhorns. That's another reason there's optimism that this month of November can be something because this team does feel like they, they play for one another they believe in one another and uh, have players like Christian Jones and Charles Wright uh, on it. So that's your second half brought to you by One Source Gas, uh, Texas compressed gas leader. My buddy Richard Strever, who's the best man. I mean, there's a reason their their company has grown from you know little old One Source Gas into now this growing monster that's uh, taken over San Marcos and all over Austin and into San Antonio. They just do it better. They do it better. They understand you as your business owner. You need beer taps for your compressed gas and your CO2. You need the nitrogen, oxygen, propane for your medical uh, buildings and, and your, your your doctor's offices, dentist, dental offices. You need it. You need it on time. You need it hassle-free. That's what One Source Gas is all the time. 12 years now. Understand that exceptional customer service is the key. Uh, so if your bar, restaurant owner, dental office, veterinary clinic, have a business that needs compressed gas on the daily or weekly, whatever it might be, and you are looking for a better and an upgrade, it's your compressed gas provider, call our friends or go to the website, onesourcegasatx.com. Spell out the word one, please. OneSourceGasATX.com. No numbers. Or call them 214-8484. That's 512-214-8484. Or OneSourceGasATX.com. One of our great presenting and founding partners. They bring us the halftime segment. All right, Mike, let's dive into our third quarter. It's brought to you by Carlos Carrion, the Texas mortgage guy, the TexasMortgageGuy.com. Third quarter is interesting. Uh, man, we didn't know what to say was going to happen in the Big 12. The Big 12, what we know, Mike, is always unpredictable. And here we are into the month of November, five teams, count them, five teams, all at four and one, sitting in a five-way tie for first place atop the Big 12. Let's run through them. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas K-State, and Iowa State are all four and one. Oklahoma State will play Oklahoma this weekend. Texas will play Kansas State. And Iowa State, the other surprising four and one team in the conference, will host Kansas, who just knocked off Oklahoma. Uh, not much more the Big 12 and Brett Yormark could ask for after a pretty miserable September for the conference looks like November is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I don't know how many of those teams that you listed are, are great, but they're definitely pesky and, and could put a wrench in this plan. I mean, a week or two ago, we thought this was Oklahoma, Texas, and, and no one else, you know, and Kansas state has really risen to the top. I give these guys a lot of grief, but Mike Gundy and Matt Campbell have coached their tail off this year. Both, both of those teams are, are overachieving, playing really well. Ollie Gordon's a stud at Oklahoma state and running back. Maybe he'll get into the portal and somebody can go get that dude. Uh, since Oklahoma state doesn't do it. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, South Grand Prairie. That because uh, Oklahoma State didn't do NIL, so I'd imagine somebody somebody's able to come in there and, and scoop that kid up in the portal if they want to. Maybe he'll be a Colorado Buffalo next year or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this thing's going to go to the end. I still believe it's going to be Oklahoma versus Texas in the Big Twelve Championship game. Uh, but you're right about Brett Yormark celebrating. This thing looked done and dusted, and now all of a sudden it's a lot of fun. It's something that everybody's got to watch, and and there's stakes involved because. You know, there's two college football playoff contenders uh, in the Big 12, and just one more loss kind of ends that for maybe both teams, honestly. Yeah, they can knock each other off here uh, on the way to the finish line. Well, coming up in our final four quarters, uh, final four stories in our fourth quarter, I want to talk to you about the final Bedlam game. Maybe ever, Mike. Maybe ever. We don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that coming up. Uh, it looks to me like something's up with Dylan Gabriel. I'm not sure. And that loss to Kansas on Saturday, I'll talk to you about that. And your thought, Ollie Gordon is almost 300 yards rushing in each of the last three games for Oklahoma State. And they're, you know, coming back from the dead of September when they just looked awful. Remember, Oklahoma State lost to South Alabama like 30 to 3 or something. I mean, they got trounced at home by South Alabama out of the Sun Belt. So uh, this thing was not trending in a good direction. But they beat K-State. And now here they are winning games. And, and you know, Ollie Gordon, the running back, is, is playing right there with Jonathan Brooks is the best back in the Big 12 right now. Uh, but let's talk about Texas and Kansas State because it is now the focus. We'll certainly do our – our drill down and super preview coming up in our second episode of the week on Thursday. That'll come out on Friday morning or Friday afternoon. Let's hear Sark initial thoughts on the big 12 first. Let's hear Sark talking about the conference. And is he surprised that after what we saw in September, that here it is this competitive with a month to play. The start of the year, you know, a, a couple of teams in our league lost some games that maybe they didn't, people didn't think they were going to lose and whatnot. And some other teams won some games in other conferences. Well, all of a sudden now, as the league is starting to bear itself out, we're starting to find out that I think our league is probably a little stronger than people gave it credit for uh, in early September. Um, and there's, there's a lot of teams playing really good football. And maybe some of these other leagues aren't quite as strong as people were giving them credit for at the start of the year. And so uh, I think that that's why it's important to watch the uh, entire body of work throughout a season. But uh, our league is tough. I've said it all along. We've got really good coaches in this league. Um, they, 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 they get their teams to play hard and tough. Uh, they're very good schematically. They're great game planners. And you've got to be on your toes, you know, week in and week out as a coach in this league. Uh, but you also got to make sure that your team is ready to play because um, as, as we're finding out, there's a lot of teams that have an opportunity to compete for a conference championship in November. Um, and that, that doesn't surprise me. They're, they're really good teams in our league. Mike, what stands out to me there is the coaching. I mean, that's one thing, right? I mean, they don't recruit like the SEC does. We know that. Um, but Chris Kleiman's a really good coach. Mike Gundy's, you know, maybe a Hall of Fame coach one day, even though he's unorthodox and kind of weird sometimes. But he can really coach football. And, uh, you know, that's that. They, what we're seeing is the signs of, of well-coached teams who just keep improving their teams and making the adjustments. And uh, Matt Campbell would get a, a tip of the cap with that, too, at Iowa State. Just really good coaches in this conference. Yeah, they punch above their weight. They have to be really good pound for pound coaches. I think defensively, you know, they don't have the five star defensive linemen and the all speed, you know, secondary guys. So they have to to schematically figure out a way to stop offenses. And the Big 12's been kind of a breeding ground of modern offenses, modern defenses for a long time, going back to the air raid, uh, to Gary Patterson's four two five, uh, to Matt Campbell's three three five, kind of flyover defense that it's been coined as. And so you know, I think that's one of my favorite parts about the Big 12 is it's not a reactionary league. It, it, it's a pioneering league 
that has coaches that are willing to take chances because they're trying to go get that bigger and bigger job, right? In a lot of different cases. And so you're able to kind of just do some stuff and experiment and and, and not have the pressure of going 11 and one every single year. Uh, and so, I, you know, it's, to me, you know, Texas fans get upset with me when I kind of make fun of Longhorn fans for how they treat the Big 12 and talk about the Big 12. Uh, but I think it's a great conference. It's a fun conference. And while it may not be the most talented conference in the world, it's always been, you know, pretty even and pretty fun to watch on a week to week basis. I agree with you. That's well said. I, you know, pioneering is a great way to put it. And I think you, what you said to start with punch above your weight. I mean, you don't have the talent that some of the others do. You just don't have the body, you know, the, the depth of talent. Uh, so you got to coach around it and you got to, you know, it's like we talk about with Sark with his secondary, you know, okay, you know, the problem or your red zone. Now you got to coach around it. Now you kind of know what you are. And I think there's a lot of coaches in this league that that have built and found the ability to do that uh, over the years, without a doubt. All right, let's hear Sark no more now, specifically about K-State. They are one of the four and one teams. They are six and two overall. They've maybe been the best team in the conference in the month of October. Uh, Here's Sark knowing what they're running into with this Wildcat bunch at 11 a.m. on Saturday. As far as Kansas State goes, uh, obviously this is a really hot team right now. Uh, they've been playing as good as anybody in the country uh, in all all three phases for the last two to three weeks. Uh, I think it's I think it's really important that we focus on us and what we need to do. Um, that, that the details and the level of physicality in which we play the game are at the forefront of what we do. Um, I do believe our best football is still ahead of us, and that part is exciting to me. Um, and we're going to need to play complimentary football Saturday against a very good, well-coached football team in Kansas State. So it's an exciting weekend. Um, obviously, we've got you know the big new kickoff here with Fox. Um, you know they're, they're coming to do their show. I think it's a great opportunity for our students, for our fans, uh, to really show up here at DKR and have an impact on the ball game. Um, we've all we've all got work to do. Uh, I think everybody, myself included, could have been better last week, and and we all need to be perform better this Saturday. Saturday at 11 a.m. All right, Mike. Looks like about 58 degrees in the morning for your tailgates, about 78 degrees for kickoff. Couldn't ask for much more. Uh, maybe even cooler than that, probably in the low 70s when they kick this game off on Saturday, 11 o'clock. I know Longhorn fans don't like the, the 11 a.m. game, but I, I kind of predicted this on Saturday during the game because they had already announced the Bedlam game was in the middle of the day. They already had the night game picked out. So Fox was waiting on this game, uh, the big noon crew. Uh, that's their big game of the week, and uh, they bring their whole people, Urban Meyer and all those guys. So Longhorn's going to get the center of the national attention on Fox, and uh, should be a good game. Coming up on our Thursday recording, Mike, and our uh, Friday drop of our second episode of uh, this week, we will really drill down on K-State and their you know two, two-headed monster at quarterback. Uh, one stat that really sticks out, though, Mike, about K-State, just to get off the – just to start this, they're number one in the Big 12 in third down conversions. They're 55% on third down in the conference. Their number and in the last three weeks, they're they're converting about sixty-seven percent of their third downs, and they're holding their opponents to like twenty-eight percent. They're just getting off the field and then not giving the ball up. This is a Chris Kleiman team that's improving. Those numbers, those things are pretty staggering. Texas is very good on third down too, both ways. This is a heck of a heck of a matchup. And you just said it a little bit ago in our second quarter that this needs to be an Oklahoma level, uh, Alabama level performance for Texas if they're going to get a win here. Sorry, I'm laughing because SMU's head coach is texting me about if they released the full schedule of 24 through 30 as if he didn't know or so. I don't know. It's very funny. Uh, it's funny. Like coaches get like coaches are such in their bubble that they have like no idea what's happening around them. SMU is joining the ACC and they announced the the opponent schedules from 24 to 30. And the SMU head coach only thought it was from 24 and is like learning this as we're recording this podcast. That's hilarious to me. So funny. 
Um, Kansas State has outscored their last opponents 82 to three. Um, they just beat a team that was within, you know, a couple of yards of tying the game and sending it to overtime, you know, in a Houston team against Texas. They beat them 41 to nothing and shut them out for like the first time this century or something like that. Like Kansas State is a bunch of monsters and they pull you into fights. They take you into to quicksand and they challenge you in a way that Texas historically hasn't been all that great. Right. Like the knock on the Texas team is that they're finesse and that they're superstars and that, you know, it's that whole like three-star culture, five-star talent type deal. Texas lately has been really good against Kansas state. Uh, They're going to have to beat a a version of the Wildcats that is going to show us a lot about the toughness and physicality of this Longhorn football team. Well said, well said. And uh, I do know that the Longhorns have won eight of the last 10 and Sark's never lost to Chris Kleiman, even with, with a bad team year one. Uh, Tom Herman kind of turned the tide of that K-State rivalry because, uh, you know, just be more physical. You have to be. You, you can't be finesse and beat that team. you got to be physical. But this is maybe Chris Kleiman's best team uh, at this point. After winning the Big 12 a year ago, kind of out of nowhere, uh, a lot of those guys are back and they're getting their sea legs after. Remember, they lost to Missouri uh, on a field goal, a 60-yard field goal at the gun at Missouri, and they lost on a Friday night in a weird game at Stillwater. Longhorn fans know what playing at Stillwater at night is all about. So those are their two losses. And as you said, the month of October, they've been dominant. So this is a hell of a ball game. Longhorn's a five-point favorite. I think this is a one-score kind of game, maybe even an end-of-score, end-of-game kind of game for the Longhorns. That's why the red zone and uh, all the critical things we've talked about are so so important. All right, coming up Thursday, be looking forward on Friday. We're going to record our deep dive on K-State and the Longhorn matchup. We'll hear more from Sark on the two-headed monster at quarterback. Avery Johnson's a true freshman who has joined Will Howard. So they've got two guys they use at QB. Uh, third down, they're great. Defense, Chris Kleiman, championship coach. So looking forward to that. But uh, that's going to wrap up our, our third quarter here. Brought to you by our friend Carlos Carrion, the Texas Mortgage Guy. Find him online. Where would you find him? At thetexasmortgageguy.com. Don't forget the the at the beginning of that. Send you to the wrong place. Uh, he is born and raised in Austinite. Diehard Longhorn fan. Uh, and he's been doing the mortgage game thing for, gosh, a dozen years, 10 years now, almost a decade. And he's not here to just provide you with a quote like anybody could do. Gosh, a computer can do that algorithm. He's your guide to help you solve problems and strategize important decisions in your life, like a refi of your house or buying a home for the first time, uh, selling a home, uh, a rental property. I mean, he is the best when all of this and all you got to do is talk to him. And go to thetexasmortgageguy.com. It's also on social media, Facebook. Just search Carlos Carrion, C-A-R-R-E-O-N, or on Twitter at Carlos Carrion 36, the number 36, Carlos Carrion with two R's. He is thetexasmortgageguy.com. And as I say, uh, when you're in, in this in the market for this, you want someone that you can talk football with, talk some Longhorns, uh, talk Austin. He's lifelong, uh, great dude, and uh, just makes sense to work with him. He's, he watches the EOT religiously, so he'll – uh, be able to talk to you about everything we're talking about. You're going to love Carlos Carrion, the Texas Mortgage Guy.com. All right, let's drop into our fourth quarter. It's brought to you by Dr. Greg Eckert, of course, and my brand new smile, courtesy of Dr. Eckert and his team there in uh, North Central Austin. Uh, Mike, final four quarters. What stands out to you right now in college football? I'm going to say go lead off and just say for the Oklahoma Oklahoma State game for the final time. I can't wait to watch this game. Uh, there's a rivalry and then there's this one. It kind of reminds you of Texas and Texas A&M back, you know, 10, 10, 11 years ago. Uh, this could be the last one. Both then there's, there's animosity both ways. It's an in-state rivalry. Mike Gundy played quarterback at Oak State. Oklahoma uh, has dominated the rivalry. They won 15 to the last 18. But man, that, that Stillwater scene for this final bedlam is going to be something to see on Saturday. 
I can't believe it's not the uh, last game of the regular season uh, for these two, you know, near Thanksgiving. It feels like that, sh- that should have been a tradition. I, you know, we've talked about this a few times on this show. Like I, I am somebody who enjoys the traditions and the rivalry and the, and the prestige and the regionalness uh, uh, regionalism uh, uh, of this sport. And we're losing it. You know, it's becoming more of a national sport, a, a money-making sport, a TV executive sport. And, and to me, I don't think it's overall a net good. I think there are some good things about it, but I think overall it is a net negative. I don't want to live in a world where college football doesn't have Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State or Washington versus Washington State or Texas versus Texas A&M or any of those games, right? And so uh, to me, it's just kind of a sad kind of swan song, but you know, I hope I hope the good guys win. And by that, I mean Oklahoma State, you know, uh, to, to get that last one because it's not the Cowboys that, that aren't going to play this game moving forward. It's going to be the Sooners. Uh, because they don't need the money. Uh, both sides have said we don't have any interest. There's hard feelings, obviously. There's years and years and years of tradition. I know we've talked about that with Texas playing TCU and uh, Texas Tech and Baylor for the last time here as conference members this year. It's tough. It really is. I mean, I, I, I'm a pragmatist, so I understand it, but I'm with you. I don't, I don't like it. I don't have a good answer for it, and it's just uh, it's unfortunate, but it's the way of college football right now. Uh, Mike, what stands out for you as far as our final four questions, things around college football that we haven't touched on here on our hour or so of the EOT on a Monday? We kind of talked about it, but I find the Michigan thing to be uh, hilarious and and interesting in the middle of the season. Like, I mean, they, they're they arguably the, the most dominant best team in college football, and their coach didn't coach for the first three games, and now he may get – and more trouble for sending guys to to steal signs from Indiana and Rutgers and <laughs> and stuff like that. I just think it's very funny. Um, yeah, I just think you know I think what what's always interesting about the college football year is in the early part of October we're like, man, there's 14 teams that can win a national championship. How are we possibly going to whittle it down? This is why we need a 12 team playoff. We don't know who the best teams are. And then by this time of the year, around November 1st, we're down to about six teams. And the last three or four weeks will take us down uh, to four and we'll go from there. And so it's just been a, a fun college football season. I think it's been cool that the Pac-12 has, has made it a, you know, coast to coast football season in a way that the last few haven't. It feels like the last few seasons have been about the Southeast and the Midwest. Uh, and this year with Texas playing well, Oklahoma playing well again, the, the West Coast being back on it, it feels like a real kind of, you know, 50 state situation now. I would agree. As for the Michigan thing, I'll be interested because I mean, I think the Big Ten dodged a bullet that they that Michigan wasn't uh, wasn't playing uh, this weekend, right? He had their bye week. I think that was important for them that they didn't have to play a game and have Jim Harbaugh have a press conference. Because I think the thing that came out late last week that really opened my eyes was the reports that they were giving, um, you know, signs maybe to Clemson teams that South Carolina who was playing Clemson and LSU at the or excuse me Clemson and Tennessee. At the end of last year, maybe that was something that uh, this Connor Stallions w- was a part of, too, to help maybe derail those teams to the college football playoff. Who knows? I mean, that's what the investigation's about. I just feel like the Big Ten has to have a statement here because, again, I think two things have to happen for Michigan. They need some protection here because they go on to win this whole thing, and it's going to be tainted. Uh, I, one of the things I've argued on my show, Mike, is I think the Big Ten should say, you know what, we're unilaterally – going to institute head, head, you know, helmet to helmet sideline communication here the rest of the way. I know that would be dramatic, but at the same time, you know, it protects Michigan, uh, you know, all this information that they may have gathered over time that they have the future opponents and all of that comes into question. Um, you know, are they going to use that? Can they use that? How do you prevent it? Uh, the, the helmet communication that we've talked about that should have been allowed a long time ago, coaches have voted against it, schools. Uh, I think the big 10, he has to get out in front of this thing because whatever it is, 
I don't know how big it is. Is it, is it an anthill or is it, a, is it a mountain? But at the same time, this is a team that can win the national championship. And if they do, and then it comes out, well, you know, we see this all the time in the NCAA. It's not, it's not good for your champion. And you also, if you're, a com- if you're the Tony Batiti, the, uh, the commissioner, you got to protect the other teams who are now going, wait a second, what's going on here? These guys have been stealing our signs. They've been using it, and they've been dominant since they've been doing it. I mean, those are the, how the timelines light up that really when this all began is when they began their rise to the top of the college football world, and they've been dominant this year. So, And that stuff at the end of last year with South Carolina and, and Clemson and, and, L- and Tennessee kind of really takes it like, hold it on, let's, let's, let's tap the brakes on this deal. I don't wonder if the Big Ten doesn't have a statement. I'm surprised they didn't have something today. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Michigan's going to play this weekend. They're maybe the best team in the country. Uh, it, to me, as a Houston Astros fan, it's almost like they uncovered the trash can gate during the year. Yeah. And like when you can do something about it, like when you can actually put a stop to it and then do something. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but it is a bizarre story. I don't know if we've ever seen like this during the season. And for, for Jim Harbaugh, this is my third one, Mike, in our final four in our fourth quarter here on the Eyes on Texas multicast. The you know, this is starting to feel a lot more like Pete Carroll's last year at USC after all the success that, you know, could Jim Harbaugh jump off to the NFL, however this goes. And uh, teams like the Chicago Bears might be interested. Remember Pete Carroll at the end of his run at USC kind of knew the NCAA was digging around what was going on with the Reggie Bush stuff. And he just jumped off to the Seattle Seahawks and the rest is history at that point. Where does uh, where does PJ Flex comment stand with you all now, now that we know this uh, Michigan yeah. Well, I think all that needs to be looked into. I mean, uh, you know, their their, their numbers are gaudy, uh, and and it is impressive how great they've been. And it does feel like that that something's up. And at the same time, as Mike said, you know, uh, and a lot of coaches have said, just having the sign or knowing doesn't matter. But the, what I think stands out, Mike, and you can correct me from your reading of all of this, the guy was going to games, recording the game, the entire game, and then going back home and being able to watch it and decode it. And then during the game against that opponent, he was on the sidelines, you know, talking to coordinators and helping them decode what was happening in real time, checking to the right play, checking out of bad plays. To me, that's that's something the NCAA, the Big Ten, has to take very, very seriously. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting deal, right? It's like a goodwill hunting situation. Um, you know, anytime I think college football is the best sport in the world because, like, randomly in the middle of the season, there's a story about manifestos. You know, it's like, yeah. what are we doing here? Uh, I think to me, the most interesting part of this story has been that half the coaches I talk to say it's a huge deal and can change the outcome of games and, and shouldn't be a lot. And a lot of other coaches are just like, yeah, dude, it happens. Like, be, get good at it. Like, you know, like if, if you're better at it than other people, then then that's an advantage, just like any other if you're good at trick plays or, or whatever. And so uh, I had TCU coaches tell me that they thought something was up with Michigan, that, you know, it's just like, you know there's going to be three or four times a a game where you call the perfect defense for an offensive play, but like 12 times, like, you know, like how, how often can you get it that right? Um, And so I do know some coaches like the PJ Fleck thing. Um, You know, I know, I know some coaches were suspicious. And so uh, to me, what's been really interesting as somebody who didn't play football at that level and, and hasn't coached at that level is how guys at, at the college level at head coaches in college, assistant coaches in college can disagree so much on the value of knowing the other signs because it does come into like, yeah, I can know what the offense is running, but I got to let my players know that they're running it. Then they have to go execute it and make the tackle and still stop it. And so I'd imagine when it's a a coin flip football game, it can be a huge difference. Uh, Maybe if you're Indiana, maybe if you're Indiana, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any difference at all. 
Yeah, you don't have the horses to do it, right? It is not as good. Uh, but yeah, that's I mean, that's what I'll say. The Clemson and South Carolina stuff, along with Tennessee, that that stands out. And then what you said about TCU, that they were aware of it and they had a month to prepare for it before that national semifinal game and they won the ball game. And, you know, they had dummy signs and they had planned for it. And but week to week in college football, you just don't have time for that. You don't have time to be changing your signs all the time with young people. And that's why, again, it, it reminds me of baseball, Mike, in that you know, baseball was very slow to react with steroids and kind of everybody knew it was going on. And, you know, we'd have debates about how much it helped. You still got to hit the baseball or whatnot, but you knew it helped. I mean, we saw home runs flying out of parks and stuff. Uh, and baseball was slow to react. Baseball was slow to react to the to the technology scandals that led to the Astros situation that was going on. And NCAA, we know what they are. They're slow to react. They're, they're behind the times on this with the communication. So we got guys holding up poster boards with supermodels and whatnot instead of just being able to talk to your quarterback from the sidelines uh and we'll see we'll see where that goes we have to follow it but uh or even just have a wristband like yeah it's easier to get plays in at high school like lake travis has an easier time getting plays into michigan that's that's absurd like it's just dumb and they're a billion dollar business like just put the damn things in their helmet yeah it's dumb just like in in the 80s and 90s in baseball it was they weren't even testing for steroids yet it was illegal that's dumb i mean that's pretty obvious that that, that's just not very smart and, uh, you know, we're doing that with college football right now, a, a multi-billion dollar industry, and Michigan's at the center of that whole conversation. So, uh, obviously, we'll follow that. The one thing that did come out, Wall Street Journal today did sell, did report that Michigan pulled a, a new contract off the table, rescinded a contract that they offered they had made to Jim Harbaugh that would have made him the highest paid coach in the Big Ten and one of the highest paid coaches in the country pending this investigation. So, that's now rescinded. Uh, so at least Michigan's paying attention to that. They don't want to get locked into something and, and have to be on the hook for something super long-term with Jim Harbaugh, depending on what happens here with this NCAA investigation. Fascinating story. And Mike, uh, to wrap up our, our fourth quarter, just a phenomenal weekend of college football. There's great games across it. And obviously the Big 12, you know, taking big time center stage with, you know, the, the, the Longhorns in K-State, two, four and one, two, four, four and one teams playing this weekend, Venlum in Texas and K-State. Plus, Iowa State's playing a rising Kansas team that just upset Oklahoma. I wanted to mention on the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State thing, one thing I will mention to you, last thing we'll do, is in the in the loss to Kansas, if you weren't paying attention, before their two-minute drive to try to go beat Kansas, Dylan Gabriel had thrown the ball 12 times. And they had run the ball 45 or 50 times against Kansas. And I understand maybe that was a strategy. But it, and then I watched Dylan Gabriel on that, that two-minute drive, he, or one-minute drive, he doesn't look right, Mike. He doesn't look like he's got the zip on his ball that he did when we saw him in the Cotton Bowl against Texas where he was razor sharp and was laser focused. You know, there's there's something up when you're playing a team on the road and you're struggling, but you're running the ball, uh, you know, like five to one with a quarter with, a, with an offense that's built around a quarterback. We know their running game and their running backs are not the, the engine of that offense. I would keep that an eye on that. I think there might be something up with Dylan Gabriel because he didn't look right to me in that game. Nothing against Kansas pulling the huge upset, but he just doesn't look like the Dylan Gabriel we saw three weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, that's not a Jeff Levy called offense either, right? Like that doesn't, that doesn't seem like what he would do with, with his full horses and everybody being healthy. Definitely one to watch because I mean, as Texas learned uh, when Dylan Gabriel is playing at a really high level, Oklahoma is one of the best teams in the country. If he's not, I think Oklahoma is a pretty average big 12 team. Well said. Well said as usual by Mike Craven, the senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas football. I'm Aaron Hogan. And that is it. For another episode of the Eyes on Texas Multicast, our Eyes on 
fully affixed on all things Texas football. Looking forward to one of the games of the year. We, you know, looking forward to the Alabama game when it happened, and then the aftermath, the Oklahoma game, and now here comes another huge game, ranked matchup. Uh, Kansas State at number 25, Texas at number six or seven, depending on the poll you're looking at. Uh, I want to thank our digital producer, Nolan Hogan, our executive producer, Griffin Hogan, for their great work again. Thanks again to our founding partners, Carlos Carrion, thetexasmortgageguy.com, Hay City Store, Nice House in Driftwood, Texas, also One Source Gas of Central Texas, Dr. Greg Eckert and his Brain Vault Technology at uh, MouthGuard that allows you to play hard but play safe. And, of course, our, we are powered by our presenting sponsor at Grande Equipment. That's Grande Equipment, locally owned, independent, but worldwide equipment company that's been serving your heavy equipment needs since 2004, online at grandeequipment.com. Mike, where are you traveling to this week? I know we'll do another episode coming up on Thursday into Friday that will come out ahead of the weekend and ahead of the big game on Saturday morning. But where will you be going uh, this week? Uh, my colleague Carter Yates will be in Austin for the Texas-Kansas State game. I was saying that first so people don't kill me for what they're about to hear. I will be in North Texas uh, for UTSA uh, versus North Texas. This may shock a lot of people listening to this podcast. Probably don't watch a lot of G5 football. That is the best rivalry at the G5 level in the state of Texas. Those two schools, for whatever reason, absolutely hate each other. I went to UTSA. We hate North Texas. I have to pretend to like North Texas because I'm an unbiased journalist. And on Saturday, I will pretend to do that in Denton, America. <laughs> Go Mean Green. Go Mean Green. Uh, we were up there just a couple of weeks ago for my daughter. She goes to school there. Oh, graduate with her undergrad. So, boo. yeah, man. I know you're UTSA. Uh, she's Mean Green. I'm looking forward to that. You're a roadrunner. Uh, but good stuff. Nolan, awesome. Great job, as always, uh, with the, the sound bites and the highlights. Uh, Griffin will edit it and get this thing out just as soon as he can tomorrow. Uh, it is the multicast that keeps you on top of all things Texas football, available to watch weekly on Dave Campbell's Texas Football and the Horn Austin YouTube channels. Also available for download through iTunes and Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. Mike, appreciate it, my friend. Great stuff. We'll talk again on Thursday and drop a new one on Friday. Yes, sir. Talk to you then. Welcome, brother.